Um, I kind of like the, the Sundays where I can preach on whatever I want. Um, and usually, if you just look at all the churches across the board, it's the associate's job to preach after Christmas. So I, I met, like, uh, like other associate friends who were like, you're preaching too? Yeah, I'm preaching too. Um, so I actually like this because I'm not saying it's bad to just go through series, which is really, really good for our church. Um, but this is kind of the opportunity I have to preach on something that's very, very convicting for me. And... Um, yeah, this is going to be a difficult passage to preach on, not because it's theologically complex or it's difficult to understand, um, but the truths that we learn are kind of hard to, to swallow. So, um, you know, let me, let, let's read through the word together, and um, I'll talk about it more in detail. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn them to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be reading, we're going to do read, uh, we're going to be reading from chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, I do have it here on the screen. Um, we're reading from the ESV. This is God's word. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how, to give, uh, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who was in heaven, get good things to those who ask him? Amen. So this is our passage for today. And again, um, this is just a very difficult passage to preach on. And the reason why is because I believe um, especially if you've been a Christian, if you've been, um, you know, walking with the Lord, this passage, you know, stuff like this, passages like Mark eleven twenty four, right? Pray that you've already received it and it'll be yours. Passages like this, right? To ask, seek, and knock. I think it brings up a lot of pain. Now, I'm going to ask ourselves to really examine our hearts. I really want us to be self-aware, especially when it comes to our relationship with God, namely with prayer. Because prayer is not kind of like this give-and-take relational transaction that we have as Christians with, you know, our God. But rather, prayer is really living out the presence of God. We communicate. We, we interact with God, right? We're, we're in his presence. Now, I'm going to make an assumption here, and I'm certain this doesn't apply to all of you, but maybe some of us can really resonate and relate with this. Deep down inside, if we're really honest with ourselves, I think some of us maybe feel or have felt in the past that this passage isn't true. If you're Christian, if you weren't afraid of God, and if you were really, really honest and direct, I think maybe... There's been a point in your life where you said, you know, this is BS. Why? Because I think some of us in this room have actually prayed genuine, deep, heartfelt, and faithful prayers, but we got nothing out of it. What gives, right? It's kind of like God left us unread, right? We feel like God is ghosting us. 
especially the times where we feel like we need him the most. You know, maybe some of us were a little well too familiar with the pain of fervently asking but receiving nothing. We're familiar with seeking but coming up empty, knocking but having the door locked with no response from the other side. It's like, dude, what's up with that? Your, your car is on the driveway. The light is on. Obviously, I know you're home. Open up the house, right? Open up the door, right? I've done this to many Jehovah's Witnesses in the past. Now, I think a number of us have a long list of prayers that went unanswered over the years. And it's painful. I mean, let's be real. It's, it's discouraging. And maybe some of us haven't gotten over that hurt. So I think whether if you're a cynic in this room or whether if you've been faithfully walking with Jesus your entire life or in between, we know what it's like to have God say no to a lot of things that matter to us. And this affects us differently all across the spectrum. You know, maybe some of us were just disappointed. We still trust and believe in God's goodness. We still believe he's sovereign. We still love and we worship him, but we're just disappointed. But maybe also there's some of us who feel this way. Maybe the no's to our prayers have been so frequent that we've developed a bitterness towards God. Have you ever felt bitter towards God? And because of that, our conclusion is this. We don't feel like God cares about us. Because the logic is this. How can a loving God not care about my issues or not tend to the problems that I have? God doesn't care about my interests. He doesn't care about my well-being. Right? Maybe we've, we feel betrayed because of that. Maybe we feel like God used the bait-and-switch tactic on us with passages like this. For all of us, regardless on where you stand on the spectrum, maybe our struggle with this passage is the reason why we don't pray as much as we should. Maybe. Not because we're lazy, because I know a lot of you, like when it comes to work, when it comes to your hobbies, you're so driven, right? You're so driven to earn that dollar. And when it comes to stuff like spiritual disciplines, we use the, the lazy card, right? I don't, I don't think it's because of that. I don't think it's because we're not well-equipped. And, you know, props to Pastor Joe, especially with being innovative with Bible reading and trying to incorporate, you know, strategies and different ways to help our spiritual disciplines, you know, I feel like we're pretty well-equipped. I feel like we have the right tools. Now, I think at the end of the day, millennials, right, our generation here, uh, we're driven by this question, what's the point, right? What's the point? What's the point? Because if we don't see the point of something, we're not going to waste our time and resources to do it. We don't like to do things just for the sake of tradition. That goes against our nature. There has to be purpose in why we do something. So when it comes to something like prayer, um, if we have this certain understanding and expectation of it, namely, if we ask, if we seek, if we knock, and then God will answer as a good father, right, if that's our expectation. But our experience shows that it's quite the opposite. We get the opposite result. We're going to ask, what's the point of praying? Why should I pray? I mean, what happened the last time I prayed? God didn't do much, right? So we ask ourselves, what's the point? And if, it, if the whatever, you know, fill in the blank serves to be meaningless and purposeless, 
we don't have the inclination or the motivation to do it. I know the Bible commands us to pray, but what's the point? And we believe this, and we become a little less inclined to pray. Conversely, on the opposite hand, right, let's say if we prayed and we asked, right, we, we asked and received, we sought and found, we, we knocked and the door was open, I would actually argue we would pray a lot. We would pray, we would pray so much. I, I bet we would pray like an hour a day. Now, even for me personally, I've wrestled a lot with this passage. Passages like this, passages on prayer. And there are actually other pastors, um, people who are way smarter than me, way more experienced than I am, who actually wrestle with the same thing. So there's a pastor, um, this guy, and he's a New Testament scholar. He goes by the name of Scott McKnight. Um, He talked about this issue of unanswered prayers in his commentary, um, really on on this passage here. And this is what he says. Um, This is from his commentary. It's kind of hard to read, but I'll read this for us. The single biggest discouragement in prayer is unanswered, deeply felt petitions. Sometimes we ask God for something that doesn't matter that much. But when we ask for what we most want, for instance, the conversion of a friend or healing, employment, or justice in the face of massive injustice, and when we go before God time and time again with that single issue and God seems distant or uninterested or flat out does not answer our prayers— Someone dies prior to conversion. Someone dies without healing or someone's life goes south because of unemployment. We can become discouraged about prayer. And maybe this is something that's very familiar to us. So he goes on to say, look, I have no answer to the problem of unanswered prayers. And honestly, the typical answers to these issues, you know, the the Christian cliches, they don't help me at all. They don't do much for my heart. So he says this, there's four answers to, uh, four solutions, or explanations rather, to unanswered prayers. Here's one. God does answer, but not the way that we expect, right? Because at the end of the day, yes, no, and maybe, or later, that's all answers, right? Maybe not the answers that we want, but it's still an answer nevertheless. Here's the second thing. Um, Keep praying, right? Persistence. Don't give up. Chop that tree. You have to be persistent in prayer. I mean, isn't that what it means to ask, seek, and knock? Here's the third one. We're praying outside of God's will. I mean, that's why our prayers are going unanswered, because we're praying outside of his will. Maybe our motives are not right. Or number four, we're learning to adjust to God's will. That's what he says. Those are the four reasons he lists out. Now, for me personally, okay, I think that some of these are legitimate answers, but I love it how commentators and people who are really, really, they're they're really experts on on the Bible, they're really raw and honest with issues like this. McKnight says, look, none of these answers do anything for my heart. This doesn't give me the desire and the yearning for God to act more. But I still try to focus on who God is I continue to pray in faith, trust, and hope. He keeps praying to God because he believes that God is good at the end of the day. So he can continue to pray. And this is what he says. This is his words. Sometimes it's really discouraging, and I'd be a liar if I didn't admit it. So even pastors, we, we get discouraged by, by prayer. 
namely unanswered prayers. Now, maybe some of us can relate to what McKnight is talking about. I mean, I know I have. Now, what do we do from here? I feel like I just opened a can of worms. I got to clean it up. Um, Wouldn't it suck if I'm just like, yeah, so don't pray. Let's pray. (laughs) Right? No. I actually believe that this passage is true. I'm going to argue that. I'm going to argue that Jesus is not lying. Jesus is not exaggerating when he says, if you ask, if you seek, if you knock, then God will really be a good father to us and he will answer your prayers. I believe that. Perhaps the reason why we're having difficulty, or maybe in the past, why we, we've had difficulty with this passage is because maybe we're looking at it through the wrong lens. And my job as a preacher of this passage today is to provide you the right lens to interpret this passage. So the key to understand this passage is to read and apply it in its greater context. So we have to ask, when we read passages like this, we have to ask some big picture questions. Why did Jesus say this right here in Matthew 7? I mean, it could have been early on in his ministry. It could have been like, after the Great Commission, it could have been in the middle. Why didn't he say it earlier? Why didn't he say it later? Why didn't he say it after a miracle, right? Because he could have said this after he healed someone or if he, um, you know, he calmed the storm. What's really interesting about this passage is this. This passage comes from the Sermon on the Mount, and this is towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you, um, so the question that we have to ask is this. Why did Jesus say this, this teaching about prayer, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount? And what's really important about what I'm communicating right now is this. The Bible is meant to be read in bigger chunks. We have to read in its context because we can easily misinterpret and misapply a verse if we look at it just independently by itself. So what is the Sermon on the Mount? Right? In order for us to really understand uh, this passage, uh, we really have to have the Sermon on the Mount side by side. So the Sermon on the Mount, it's literally a sermon that Jesus preached while he was doing ministry here on earth, which is recorded from Matthew's chapter 5 through chapter 7. Okay? Um, for three chapters, 5, 6, 7, Matthew records Jesus teaching about many different topics. In it, the first thing that we see is the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? And eight other statements on blessedness. So if we look at this, the Beatitudes, it's not a how-to manual on how to be hashtag blessed, Right? But rather, the Beatitudes are characteristics of Christians, like you and I, who have a relationship with God. So it's kind of like this. If you, be- if you belong to God's kingdom, right? if, you, if you're a Christian, if you have faith, this is your reality. If you have a relationship with me, you will be poor in spirit. You will mourn, but you will receive the kingdom of heaven, and you will be comforted. In the Beatitudes, we see that true blessedness is not based on how good your life is or what circumstances you're going through, but rather, Jesus even says, you will be blessed even when you're persecuted. You know what Jesus says? Rejoice when you're persecuted. 
In other words, the Beatitudes, if we look at it, it's impossible to live out by individual effort and sheer will. Next, Jesus says, be salt and light. Be my representatives. And mind you, he's telling this to people who are sinful, broken, messed up. Impossible. How can, how can we as sinners accurately represent God? Next, Jesus says, this is crazy here. He says, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. That's impossible. Like, he's saying, be more righteous than these religious rulers. Be more righteous than these people who are experts on the law. How are you getting into the kingdom if you don't have righteousness? Jesus says, don't be angry. He says, don't lust. Don't break promises. Don't go against your words. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Give to the poor. Fast. Pray. Don't love money. Don't be anxious. Don't judge others. Oh, man, I have a hard time with that one. Don't judge others, right? So we see that everything Jesus is teaching prior to our passage today is not only just difficult, but rather it's impossible to achieve on our own. Yeah, maybe we could do it once or twice, but there will be a moment where we fall short. So when I examine my own life, right, Randy's life, I can't even count how many times I've fallen short personally of Jesus teaching here on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a really hard saying to follow. It's a hard teaching to follow. So if we look at this passage to ask, seek, knock through the lens of the Sermon on the Mount, God isn't saying, if you ask for whatever you want, I will give it to you. He's not saying that. However, what God is saying is this. If you ask, seek, and knock for the things I just taught on, I will give it to you. Do you see that? So if you want to be able to rejoice in persecution, pray for it and I will help you. If you want to be salt and light to your coworkers, pray for it and I will help you. If you have anger issues, if you hate people, pray for it and I will help you. If you really want to fight lust, pray for it and I will help you. If you want to be merciful, if you're having a hard time forgiving a family member or a friend, Pray for it, and I will help you. If you pray for all the things I just preached on, I will give it to you. I will help you to be generous. I will help you to forgive. I will help you to overcome anxiety. If you ask persistently because I see how much it matters to you. You see, your persistence about the stuff that I just taught on, it shows me what you care about. And if you care about my glory and my kingdom, I will be a good father and give to you the things that you are asking for. This is how we see the passage. Now, this doesn't mean, oh, it's wrong for you to pray about, you know, anything that's outside of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not saying that. And sometimes, I mean, we we know this in our life experience, sometimes God is gracious to answer those prayers. And the key word is gracious. And the fact of the matter is this. Yeah, God loves it when we come to him for everything. He loves that. He, he encourages it, and it deepens our relationship with him. It deepens our trust and our faith, our faith with him. But here's the thing. We can't, this is very important. We can't have the expectation that God owes us a yes to every prayer that we pray. Just because we have faith and persistence. Because prayer is more than how we pray, 
but it's also what we pray for. The content is very important. So maybe the problem for me and my issues of an answer prayers isn't um, that God doesn't answer prayers, because he does. As I said, yes, no, maybe later. Those are all answers. But if I were to be just honest with myself, church, maybe I'm just praying for stones and serpents. You see what I'm saying? I mean, can you imagine praying for a, a snake? <laughs> like, God, I come to you. I really, really want the snake. I really, really want the snake. I, I know, like, the venom has a lot of neurotoxins. I know it's really, really dangerous. Um, I know it has the capacity to strangle me and to kill me and to kill my babies, to kill my dog. But please give me the serpent. Please give me the serpent. Please give me the, please give me the serpent. You see, there's persistence. It seems like I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking. But perhaps I'm praying for stuff that's not good for me. And you know how God responds to that? God is saying, you know, I love you. And out of my love and care, I'm going to withhold this from you. Because this thing that you're asking for is actually going to bring you more harm. It's going to hurt. You're not going to like it. But I'm doing this for your own well-being. Because I love you so much. And I want you to trust in me. That's a lot of what's going on when we have these unanswered prayers. So I want to give you an application. Look over the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7, and pick one thing out of Jesus' teaching to pray for regularly. And not just to pray for regularly, but to genuinely ask and seek and knock, to pray in persistence. So if you're having issues with forgiving someone, if you have these relational issues where trust was broken, you got stabbed in the back, right? It's hard to forgive that certain family member, or it's hard to forgive that certain friend. There's so much bitterness. I challenge you, pray for it. And don't just pray for it one time and forget about it, but ask, seek, and knock. Pray in persistence. There's one thing I do want to say about this application. We have to submit to God's will and God's timing. Because if Jesus is Lord... We follow his schedule, not ours. So with that being said, I want to challenge you, church. Let's just, on your free time, go through Matthew chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Pick one thing to fervently to pray for. Pray this in persistence. See what God does. See how God answers. And I trust, like, I'm telling you in confidence, God will do something about it. Because it aligns to his will and his glory. I know the pain of unanswered prayers. Um, I'm going to be a little self-referential right now, but um, there's one time, and you know, there's this one time and one pain that I specifically had to get over. In October 2003, um, that, that was when my mom was diagnosed with cancer, and we didn't know the, the weight of it, right? Um, but thankfully, and this is all God, but I was churched. I was going to church weekly, and I thought I had a great support system. You know, I was a freshman at that time, and um, you know, I felt so encouraged by my youth pastors. I felt so encouraged by my my Bible study teacher at the time, 
And there was this one time where, like, one season where people found out, and, you know, the church was so loving and gracious, um, but everyone encouraged me to pray about this. The advice that I got from church was pray in faith that it will be done. Pray in faith and God will do it. And I remember one time, I'm never going to forget this moment, um, during our Bible study group, the freshman class at the time, <laughs> my Bible study teacher, he had our entire class literally pick me up, right? I'm a heavy boy. So they, they literally picked me up and they prayed for me. They literally lifted me up in prayer, right? I felt so uncomfortable. Like there's this one, one guy who was really short. He couldn't carry me. So I felt like I was going to fall off. And they were praying for me, and I felt so comforted. I felt so loved. And so I kept being encouraged by that. And there was, I forgot who said this, but someone specifically said, hey, you need to pray more in confidence. And I'm just like, yeah, you're right. So I remember one evening in 2004 January, um, I, I go up to my brother, and I'm just like, hey, you know, um, I think we need to pray in faith. And what I mean by faith is we have to pray as if God has already done it. He's already started the work of healing. So um, I, I told my, my brother in confidence, hey, everything's going to be all right. I trust God's going to do something. And that evening I prayed. I was like, God, you're going to do this because you are a God of healing and you, you, you care about my family. You're going to do this. And I slept. And literally, the next morning after, I wake up to my brother saying, Mom passed away. That was painful. That was extremely painful. Because I thought I was following this. I thought I was fervently asking. I thought I was seeking his will. I thought I was knocking relentlessly. And I came up empty-handed. Empty -handed. And perhaps some of you can relate with this experience. Two things happened, though. Number one, God never let go of me. And this is crazy. What I mean by that is this. I know many other friends who've been through similar loss and trauma. They fell away from the faith. They got into bad stuff. And, you know, like, things ended really, up bad, really bad for them. They got into drugs. They got into partying. Um, and it was just really unhealthy. They lived a really toxic lifestyle. But out of God's grace for me, my story is this. God kept me in the faith. God kept me in church. I was still serving my heart out. And that was all God. The second thing is this, right? First, God never let go of me. Second thing is this. This was the first time in my life where I learned to rejoice in suffering. Now, if you were to think about it, you would think to rejoice and to mourn and suffer. They're two different things. Two separate things that can't be experienced at the same time. But what I learned through this moment was this. It's actually possible to rejoice in suffering. And 2004, 2003, I, I believe, this was a time where Matt Redman's Blessed Be Your Name came out, right? So this was like my theme song. Like, you give and take away, but, you know, Blessed Be Your Name. And I really didn't understand what I was singing. You know, I was leading worship at that time, too. That's a song that I played. I overplayed. I didn't know what it meant. And to be honest with you, I didn't really process, like, this, this pain and this loss until, like, way later. Way later. And even though I thought I was asking, even though I thought I was genuinely seeking and knocking, and I prayed in faith, 
that it will be done. I still didn't receive what I prayed for, but I learned a valuable lesson. I learned that God can still love you as he sovereignly ordains pain and suffering in your life. Do you believe that? That God can actually still love you when he says, I think you're ready for this. The second thing that I learned was this. God doesn't owe me any reasons for my suffering or even the explanations to how he answers my prayers. I realized, you know what? I'm not entitled to the answer of why. Because not having all the clarity in the world, it actually grows and deepens my faith. You know, Jesus himself, he he knows what it's like to have unanswered prayers too. Well, specifically, Jesus knows how it's like to have the Father say no to his prayer. Do you know when that was? That was at Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his betrayal. Jesus prays. He's sorrowful. He's in anguish. He's freaking out. He has so much angst. He prays, please, take this cup away from me. You know what Jesus is praying? Please, don't send me to the cross. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to die, God. And the father says, I mean, we don't see the father's response here, but the father says, son, I'm so sorry, but we have to do this for the world. We have to save the world. And Jesus finally says this. You know, in our passage, when we read the Bible, it seems like he says it right after. My gut feeling is this. I think there was some time, there was some period in between where he said this. If this cannot pass unless I drink it, the cup, the cup of suffering, your will be done. Or other gospel accounts says, not my will, but your will be done. So later on, sometime after, Jesus comes to grips with what he has to do. He surrenders his will, and he's more than willing to put on the Father's will. I'm so thankful for Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, because not only was this the most important moment where the battle of the universe was decided, but it also teaches us a lot about prayer. You know, Jesus didn't get what he wanted. But he trusted in the will of the Father, which led to, of course, his suffering, but also his resurrection and victory. God is calling us, and, you know, whenever he calls us, church, he's so gentle. He's so warm, right? He's never strict or cold or mean. He's always warm and inviting. And when God is calling us, God is calling us to trust and to submit our lives under his will. And so, church... You know, I don't know where you stand, honestly. I'm sure we're in many different places. But the biggest thing we have to fight for is to desire God's reign, his rule, and his will to be over our lives. Whenever the Gospels teach about prayer, all the prayer of asking things from God and receiving from God as a good father is really meant to be prayed through. Um, the lens of your kingdom come, your will be done. So church, um, as we, you know, celebrate really 2019, or if we even mourn and grieve (laughs) the pains of this year, um, let's look forward and hope in 2020 to remember um, that, of course, God will never leave us. God hears our prayers. And that, you know, to live in this way 
where we can really, really make his will, his kingdom, our utmost priority. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this passage. Um, You know, maybe not for all of us, but for some of us, this is a difficult thing. Um, I just pray for those of us who are kind of struggling with this idea of um, answered prayers. Um, I pray that you would comfort us, God. Um, And God, I pray that you would remind us that you are a loving father, um, that we are your children, and that at the end of the day, you want what's best for us. And God, I know there's many times where, I mean, I would ask my dad for like McDonald's every single day. (laughs) And I know that's not good for me. But my earthly father, out of his love and, you know, care for me, gave me healthy food to eat. And likewise, Father, you do the same thing as well. And God, sometimes we do ask for stones and serpents. But God, not only are you so gracious not to reprimand us for our, you know, prayers that are outside of your will, but God, you invite us and you bring us into something greater than what we can not only even ask for, ask for, but something greater than what we can even imagine and perceive on our own. Teach us to pray honestly. And, I, and God, I pray that for all of us here, um, would you deepen our prayer lives and would you give us faith um, that you would give us um, even the purpose to pray. So God, as a church, we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.